All right, welcome to the Footy Museum and the Footy Museum Podcast. I am Justin Woody, and I am the co-director of this here Footy Museum, and I'm joined by fellow co-director Maria Van Dyken. Lee, Maria, how are you doing? I'm steeped in the knowledge of the past, oh. and I feel empowered. Oh my gosh. And the reason Maria is feeling this way is because <laughs> we have been doing some research on the history of football in Chicago. Because as you may or may not know, Maria and I and the Footy Museum is a project based on doing exhibitions around football culture, history, design. Um, and when we did our redesign of our logo, we thought it'd be fun to kind of create a history around it. And to do that, we did some research of actual Chicago history. And it was fascinating, so much so that we decided to do a number of episodes based on that history. Yeah, get a little deeper. Um, so that's where we're going to start today. So today is the, the first part of that series. Um, it's exciting. But before we jump into the soccer, I just want to mention kind of some context about how I first started thinking about this subject and also... Um, why I think this history is so fascinating. So as a, like a child of the 90s, every time there was a biopic released at Studio 28, that is what we studied in school. And then we would go get our free tickets to the biopic. So Apollo 13, Schindler's List, and also Spike Lee's uh, Malcolm X. Now, credit to my teachers before the Malcolm X film, unlike the other ones, we actually did read the autobiography of Malcolm X written by Alex Haley. And it was a very fascinating, formative book for me, um, not only to see the arc of this very interesting figure, but also his early history. Uh, when he was young, he worked as uh, he worked for the Pullman Palace Car Company as a car cleaner. I didn't know that. And he was one of many uh, notable African-American historical figures that worked for this company. One of them being Thurgood Marshall, the former uh, Supreme Court Justice, was a Pullman porter. Oh. Uh, and I learned through the book kind of this history, the Pullman porters were usually largely black men who worked for the Pullman Palace Car Company as helping people, uh, you know, bring in their luggage, serve them, and really provide a very high level of service because the Pullman Car Company was focused on creating luxury train cars for luxury, tra luxury travel. Now, the Pullman porters were very esteemed in their community because they were very well-dressed. They got to travel the country in a time when not a lot of uh, African-Americans were allowed to travel. Yeah. Um, and even though the Pullman company paid them kind of atrocious wages, um, they did get tips and they were able to save and Pullman porters were really one of the first steps in establishing a black middle class in this country. Hmm. So it was this fascinating history. At the same time, as I mentioned, they weren't really necessarily well paid. So a number of them eventually joined the Brotherhood of Pullman Porters, which was the first um, black labor union in the country, the foundation of which taught them principles and practices that really informed the civil rights movement. And the reason I'm all mentioning this now on the soccer podcast is because we had, right, these, this place, uh, this company, and this time, and these events that kind of all intertwined, and they end up affecting the rest of the fabric of culture. Yeah. And it's fascinating because Pullman, which is a company based in Chicago, really largely was that. And that was no 
that was no more the case than really at the end of the Gilded Age and the turn of the 19th century. So 1890s, um, Gilded Age, there's a lot of wealth in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, And George Pullman was kind of aware that sleeping cars and train cars were not as nice as maybe they could be. So he started a company to create luxurious train cars. And he's founded that company in 1867. Here you see one of the Pullman cars. It's very decorative, beautiful. It, here it's actually fresh off the factory. And the insides were, I mean, phenomenal. It's like chandeliers, uh, you know, plush seats. Now Pullman would operate up until the middle of 20th century and the style would keep up. But this is really what we're talking about at that mm-hmm. time. The Gilded Age. And I can't imagine like, going in a train with these with like chandeliers and like, I can't imagine. It would just be so loud. Yeah, you'd be going and it'd be like, ching, 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 yeah. Ching, 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 and it's like, this is so nice. Like with your teeth. <laughs> with your crystal your... cup. And you're yeah. like, <laughs> because the railway was still was from the 1800s. But you get a sense of uh, of kind of the glamour that, uh, or the the prestige and, and level yeah. of quality they I mean, were, like, this they is were the trying kind to of, produce. This is the kind of thing you only see now from like behind a stanchion. Yeah, you go yeah. to like a railroad museum, it's like, that dusty old chair was one of those. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Pullman uh, was found a lot of success um, with this with this business. You know there was a lot of need for it. This was the primary way to travel around mm-hmm. the country. Um, and his and his company, like a lot of companies at that time, just exploded. Um, so much so that when he, he was already operating in the Chicago area, he bought four thousand acres just south of what was the boundaries of the city that time along Lake uh, Calumet. Um, and he built his own town, mm-hmm. Pullman. And the idea is the Pullman Palace Car Company was one of these paternalistic uh, industries. The idea is that if we give our workers a place to stay, if we keep them engaged, they will less likely to, you know, be intoxicated. They will and, be sober and, and be happy. Focused. And fit. if we keep them healthy, they will be good workers. Yes. And it, it's like, um, it's kind of a double, the idea is like, it's nice to give the workers, but at the same time is treating them like cogs in a machine. Yeah. And just like that early story, as I started, there's a the complexity to that history. Mm-hmm. Uh, here you have a rendering of, of Pullman. Um, and he didn't just build it. He brought in top uh, architects, landscape uh, designers of the time. And he built what was a fairly charming community. The row homes he built for workers were very light-filled. They all had green space. There were parks. It's, it's, it seems like if like, he was going to do it, he's going to do it right. Yeah, that's right. He was yeah. going all the way. He made luxury uh, train cars. He wasn't going to make, you know. Yeah, he can make row homes. Yeah, he's going to make some nice, <laughs> some nice row homes. <laughs> and it, the, even the factory itself was gorgeous, the main factory. Um, there's a famous hotel in Pullman. In fact, Pullman today is a national historic site. Uh, it is now, and it has been, even while it was most of the time of the company, was annexed by the city of Chicago. But you, here you see the, the, the main hotel down there. And you, as you can see on the right, it's still there. And you see some example of some of those row homes that he built. And I, if you ever have a chance, I would, you know, I'd, I'd recommend checking out the main building is a national park. Uh, they have phenomenal, um, uh, phenomenal uh, exhibits and history about that area. Um, but another thing, with that encouragement, they also formed a lot of teams for their workers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pullman uh, even formed a lot of football teams, soccer teams for both men and women. Here we're looking at a picture of a 1920s 
women's team from Pullman. Um, I can't imagine wearing skirts and sweaters and. Well, it looks like uh, they're wearing like pantaloons. Oh, excuse me. But they are wearing like <laughs> tights. Now pantaloons, I can imagine. <laughs> I take it back. That's that you, was you actually have a pair, right? Earlier this week, when <laughs> EA Sports accidentally leaked the MLS Cup, the the biggest thing was everyone's going to wear pantaloons this year. I mean, that was bring it back. Yeah, and belts because they also wore belts at the time <laughs> because they didn't have elastic. Yes, but they also um, fielded a, a men's team, a Pullman AFC. I could not find an image from that time of Pullman AFC, so I used our, our, our AI overlords to draw from existing images <laughs> to imagine. So this is an imagined view. It looks like a team of four players and a bunch of administrators, but, but just to give the idea. Um, and this Pullman team, Pullman AFC, was the main team of the club. Now, there was also another team in Pullman uh, called the Thistles, and it was kind of interchangeable with the Pullman team. And the Thistles, if you know Chicago history, and I know you're going to talk about them as well, were kind of the dominant team, mm-hmm. but the players kind of changed. They play different places. So yeah. Pullman and Thistles were kind of the same team, although the Thistles were not the official team of the club. Yeah, there was like a lot of back and forth between these teams. The Pullman team was the official one of the company. Mm-hmm. The Thistles had a little bit more flexibility. These were more uh, wealthy uh, members of the company who okay. had the resources and time to be able to take time off to travel if they were traveling under the Thistles. And they also had more flexibility when it came to playing in the Chicago League, which okay. had distance limits for how far you could be away from actually City Hall. Okay. So it was kind of their workaround for getting into these different spaces. But there was basically, like, if you were Pullman, you were Thistles. If you were Thistles, you were Pullman. Right. But they would play each other occasionally. And those drew, like, huge crowds from the community. Because then it would almost be, like, the worker the worker class versus the little more... Potentially. Potentially. I didn't find yeah. anything specific about that. But it was, like the big scrimmage of of the whole community of yeah. the town. And it would draw like over a thousand people to this it's event. It's like Cubs White Sox. Exactly. Yeah. It's almost exactly like that. It is 1,000% <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. So for some friendlies uh, out of town, like in St. Louis or in Massachusetts or in Milwaukee, Pullman would sponsor the trip and then they would play as Pullman and not as the Thistles. Okay. So there was that as well. Even though the players were, would be all the Thistle players. It was just like totally mm-hmm. intertwined. And in this time... Uh, the late, you know, late 1800s, 1890s, a lot of the teams forming, um, not only in Chicago, but uh, in the nation kind of followed that structure, right? You had corporate teams from these paternalistic mm-hmm. companies, you know? Um, I think Marshall Fields even sport, fielded a team sometimes yeah, in Chicago. Um, and then you had kind of these gentlemen clubs. Yeah, so basically it was three versions. There was an athletic club, like a gentlemanly yeah. leisure class level sponsoring a team or then it was a paternalistic corporation sponsoring a team meant to like keep its workers happy and healthy and then there were and fit and then there were neighborhood teams as well what's distinctive from pullman from the thistles is that they took part in one of the uh, seminal moments of chicago footballing history Mm -hmm. and that was um in 1883 they played the first ever official game under association rules of football and they played one of these gentlemen type clubs it was the chicago wanderers and cricket club and the first game ever played was at pullman um, at their athletic complex called the playground which sadly after pullman died was raised and uh, incorporated into the manufacturing side of the building 
I but here we see the wanderers. Like this is this. I'm to be fair. This photo is from 1904, but they're still rocking the pantaloons and the boot and mm-hmm. the belts. The and pantaloons and the belts. Time traveler Doctor Strange Benedict Cumberbatch is number six. <laughs> the back row. I've noticed. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch in a lot of these teams. <laughs> I think he has some answering to do. But, but they, they, there was a lot of player attrition throughout all the teams oh, so they would join different groups. Mm. So mm-hmm. mm. I have a newspaper quote about this game. Yes. Which, this is from the British American. Um, and it, and quote, uh, a match will be played at Pullman Thanksgiving Day at 1130 in the morning between Pullman Club and the Wanderers Football Club of Chicago. This match will be played under the new rules, parentheses, association, and parentheses. And as many of the players have quite a record at the game, the public will no doubt enjoy seeing the sport. The team of the Wanderers will be as follows. And then it goes on to list all the players. Oh, huzzah, huzzah. I know. It's like, I... it's in the paper. I think extra, it's so extra. Uh, Read all about it. <laughs> I think it's so fascinating, and, and as a sport that's often talked about with so little history and tradition in this country, to think back, this is the same time the biggest clubs in the world were forming. This yeah. is the same. This is all the same time, mm-hmm. and it was really taking root here it the was same way. Simultaneous. Yeah, yeah, there were belts and pantaloons across the planet. Mm-hmm. Now you have some more information about the, this period, and immediately. Uh-huh. Um, Right after. Yeah. So what happened after this game, after this first, first official game? Yeah. So. I got to grow a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so after this first, speaking of newspapers, I have yeah. a couple sides that are just newspaper clippings, but look at these spreads. Always exciting. Sorry. It's Always just, exciting. Fit, it's like early 90s web design. I Lots know. of text. <laughs> Lots just, of text. Don't worry. I will explain. <laughs> so after this game, uh, there were, like we mentioned, the gentlemen's like athletic mm-hmm. clubs were kind of taking the lead role in forming what would become the basically organized Chicago soccer scene. And um, these clubs uh, were like leisure class, upper, upper middle class, mm-hmm. upper class, uh, white collar workers who had a lot of time, affluence and money. Mm-hmm. And these uh, athletic clubs they were a part of were interested in preserving their like ethnic heritage because yeah. they're all basically all immigrants. All at these... this time it was the, a lot of the big clubs if I'm not incorrect were English, Scottish, Scottish specifically. Yeah. Uh, Chicago was really influenced by Scottish playing style too, mm-hmm. which was quick passing kind of like build up play versus mm-hmm. like the long bombing English style. Yeah. Versus yeah. long ball, which was more popular in St. Louis mm-hmm. or <laughs> losers. I know. Right. <laughs> or like a dribbling style. And, uh, Kick it hard. St. Louis. Like imagine, a, <laughs> like imagine seven players all in one row. People are just dribbling it up. And it's like insane. Um, so they're really interested in preserving uh, ethnic heritage and creating places for people to connect. Yeah. Um, and that way they're also, exclusive right which Mm -hmm. is you know um (laughs) but why am i looking at a newspaper oh so we're looking at a newspaper (laughs) because these three of these athletic associations formed the first uh league yes they formed the first uh football association the chicago football association cfa in 1886 yes which we will now refer to as cfa and this newspaper clipping is um not from that year but it is reporting on the new formation again of another 
season another election of boards so like this is the kind of thing that's being reported on in the paper yeah they're they're like this new well it's the same way other new new sports are taking yeah, hold yeah. we've had this game it's forming and, and and not only that like these guys have community clout they're essentially socialites right like they're constantly being oh, like the wanderers and people on yeah. those teams yeah mm-hmm. so like people are they're writing about individuals in the paper mm-hmm. the first three clubs that formed the association were the Northwestern Football Association, Northwestern, the Chicago Football Association Club, and the Waters of the Cricket Club. The Waters of the Cricket, uh, which uh, has its own fascinating history. It does. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then from '86 to '99, like we said, mm-hmm. um, the membership was fluctuating uh, from six to eight time eight like full time soccer teams with like more coming in. They had a couple mm-hmm. divisions. Um, they organized. The rules, they organized friendlies, they organized tournaments, they had the Jackson Cup and everything. So they so were, the Jackson Cup was the championship, the first cup awarded in a, in league play in Chicago, and it was in this league. Yeah. And Pullman wasn't initially part of the league, right? No, but the Thistles were able to be a part okay, of it. Okay, so they were kind of part of it, yeah. But like, and the Thistles were the dominant force. They had seven championships in that period yeah. of time. So, um, yeah, the Wanderers also uh, pretty big. Um, well, the name the Wanderers, you see that a lot. And thistles. You see thistles and wanders a lot. And yeah. it's, it's connected with the Scottish heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you still see, are there still, th- I know there's still the, like Wolverhampton Wanderers, there's like original Wanderers. And that term makes sense with kind of the leisurely upper class gentleman style, like mm-hmm. wandering, looking for and it's, for leisure and adventure. And it's, it's very like... Carefree sportsmen. Sports for sports sake. Like yeah. they valued like the pure. amateur. Like these guys were like people would come in from out of town, other teams that they would play and mm-hmm. they would wine and dine them the night before. The next day they'd go play the game and then the next day they wind and dine them again before putting them on the train back to St. Louis. And then like, they would buy their homes and burn them to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it was all about like uh-huh. it was all about like cigar rooms yeah. and stuff. So it was the birth of the old boys club. Yeah, it was yeah. definitely and that's why you, probably why you see some of that to this day. Because yeah. it's like <laughs> Well, for years the center of US soccer when it was in Chicago up until a month ago, up yours, US soccer. Um <laughs> Was held was actually in an old mansion, um, with like woodline walls. Very much mm-hmm. had that history. So, anyway, continue. Yeah, well, yeah. So that's like totally the vibe. Um, and not only were, were they organizing in Chicago, like there were other hotbeds around the area. Mm-hmm. This is a clipping from '91 about um, the match that they held between the champions of St. Louis and the champions of Chicago every year, um, and that was the championship of the West. The yes. first one, which was held in '86. Um, this is from 91, but the first one was in 86 and that was between the Chicago football association or the Chicago's, um, versus the St. Louis thistles. And there were, there were a thousand fans in attendance. Chicago won five to one. Um, and organizers were like, Hey, this thing's got, has legs. Like we can do this. Like people are loving this. To think that Chicago and St. Louis played in a soccer championship 140 years ago and MLS has decided to put them in different conferences. <laughs> right? right? Like, this how can is you like, have the championship of the West? Like, what other teams? Are you are you telling me that like the, the Dallas Burn were playing the um, <laughs> LA Galaxy in 1886? No, come on, oh MLS. Gosh. Get with I it. Know. Pick up a book. All right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, pick up a very big book. Oh, so here's a couple photos of the Wanderers. We've seen mm-hmm. this one on the right before. 
um, with Benedict Cumberbatch. I'm not sure what year this one on the left was taken in. I love how, I don't think you could get your haircut as much back then. So there's like so many unintentionally hipster haircuts from I this period. I feel like one of those guys today. Oh. I'm pretty sure the gentleman in the middle also um, inherited a Chicago beef restaurant from his brother who died and then turned it into a high-end dining. I'm pretty sure he's kind of an intense figure. Mm, also and a was an underwear Klein model, model yeah. on the side. I'm pretty sure. That's a different history. Carry on. <laughs> oh, yeah. So one of my favorite stories from The Wanderers is, um, and this has to do with Chicago landscape as well and the pitch conditions being a little tricky oh, yeah, and winter imagine. being tough. Because like, they played like the they played the traditional cycle. They played through the winter, right? Yeah, they played two seasons yeah. a year, um, playing through the winter and uh, in prairie. And if you've ever tried to dig into raw prairie, <laughs> like, like you, good luck. Those of you digging into raw prairie know what we're talking about. <laughs> you city slickers out there, you may not know <laughs> the challenge of such rugged and rough earth. <laughs> yeah, people just sod busting over here. <laughs> yep. Anyways, <laughs> it is bumpy. It is bumpy. Hard, it's hard. Sandy, it's hard good stuff. Clay, yeah. sand, roots. Anyways, it's tough. It's tough dirt, and it's what is made of a Chicago swamp and prairie, and that's where these guys are playing. And so you're not saying it was. It wasn't always the most elegant game. These are uppity guys, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like. You know, drink, they're the ones using those train cars. Um, <laughs> and what, I, there's this one story where a Wanderers player got really frustrated and then kicked a ball into Lake Michigan and oh, it delayed man. the game. Like, you only have one ball? <laughs> well, they, had to go, they had to go out and kill a pig and blow up its stomach to play the rest of the game. Luckily, Chicago also home to many slaughterhouses. There are plenty of pigs. Come, so it worked out. Oh, man. Um, speaking of the Wanderers Cricket Club, because they were kind of a big player in athletics in the city, not just with their football team. Where was their, where were they headquartered? Oh, oh where were they headquartered? Uh, a, a little intersection at 39th and Wentworth. 39th and Wentworth? 39th and Wentworth? Yeah, you said 3rd and 9th and Wentworth. Thir no, I said 39th and Wentworth. That's a familiar location. <laughs> Isn't that right by... Um, what was Comiskey, um, the White Sox Park? Uh, it, come to think of it, they might have sold it to a man named Comiskey. Oh, my God. In the year of our Lord, 1900, for his White Stockings oh, baseball club. So the White Sox play essentially on the ground of the Wanderers Cricket Club. Yeah, correct. Nothing and, changes. And they, and they were playing soccer on the cricket grounds before right. the turn of the century. It wasn't until a little while later that they had dedicated grounds. So and, and that's, it's, it's yeah, that's crazy. where the Wanderers play, is where the White Sox play. Crazy add to that is that the White Sox, there's rumor they're considering building a downtown stadium in the loop. And there was, I don't know if this is true or not, the suggestion maybe the fire would go to the White Sox location. Like, this what a just weird, just, everyone's just trading the same things over yeah. and over again. This is wild. Yeah. I mean, that'd be kind of cool in some ways. So is this that location at the time? Yeah, I'm pretty, this is from the it paper. It looks different than the last time I was there. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Where's the red line stop? They also were, the Wanderers were known as the Wentworths after they moved oh. uh, from that specific location. So they go they went by both names um, somewhat interchangeably. I would say just like Madrid and Chicago Fire, a lot of people don't know that they're the same team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Moving on. Moving on. Okay, this is just more newspapers. More newspapers. This is one little tidbit. <laughs> we can. No, I love it. Cut this if we have to. No, but, not at all. Um, this is a little write-up in in a paper that I was like, "Why is this being published?" And it just goes to show, like, how much these guys were just socialites because it's talking about these two players, one of them from the Wanderers. Joseph Fletcher, captain of the Chicago Wanderers Cricket and Athletic Club, and N.E. Rooker, captain of the Chicago Football Club, arrived yesterday by the steamer Britannic after a tour pleasure of pleasure through Europe. And oh, it's like, geez. why are you writing about it? It's like, this guy's going to get married. This guy is going to be playing cricket until the football season starts. I'm like, so that's what this is. This is these oh, guys are. Man. Like when I think immigrants, when I think of immigrants, this isn't what I think of, honestly, <laughs> because this isn't my family's experience, right? So yeah. Why? What? What's what luxury steamer did your family come over on? <laughs> so sh- yeah. So these my great grandparents traded not- a sack of potatoes for a winter coat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My yes. grandfather dressed up like a barrel and <laughs> snuck up on a ship. <laughs> these guys. So that what really was. There was a very much a gentleman class mm-hmm. at yeah, play. This was the gentleman. What class. a life that would be like! I'm going to go cruise, and when I get off the boat, I'm going to play a game of association football. Yes, and then the, the new rules. With the new rules, and have some oh, cigars yes, at the Chicago Athletic Club afterwards. That's not the full story, though. Oh, it's not. It's not. There's like we said earlier. There's a different class of people playing. But um, a suited class. Well, these guys. A roughly suited. A roughly class. suited class. <laughs> Look at the lapels. Yeah, the, these this group right here is the Braidwood Miners, and mm. they work for the Braidwood yes. Mining Company. And this is the other type, like we mentioned, the corporate sponsored. Mm-hmm. But this is this is unskilled labor. And that's the difference. So a lot right. of the guys playing at Pullman were skilled craftsmen. Right. Even if they weren't. These were miners. The uppity, like upper class guys. Mm-hmm. These guys are miners. They're they're in the mines. They're digging all day. Right. Um, coal miners. So I've heard coal dust is good for aerobic activity. Mm-hmm. I've heard that as well too. It's all the rage. <laughs> um, they're selling it at Sephora. Anyways, and they were involved in league play as they well. They were, yeah, not not or, or they, playing with teams from Chicago because they were outside Chicago. So once again, they couldn't be fully a part of the CFA, right. but they were involved with league play. Um, that's what a lot of these groups were: the the Braidwood Miners and the Illinois Steel Company. Those were the two kind of main successful teams that did a lot of friendlies or like did incorporate into the league play sometimes mm-hmm. with the other Chicago um, teams like the Wanderers and the Thistles. Uh, and then otherwise there was like Marshall Fields, the Aurora Hercules, mm-hmm. um, the Cole Hours. Um, the, and uh, it was under that like capitalist ideology, the control of the worker, yeah, the like make them happy, right. keep them happy, make them happy keep workers. Them fit. Thing. Yeah. But on the other hand, these guys were really good. Yeah. These the Braidwood Miners were really good. They formed as early as 1888. Um, they it was the like I said, it was the first team created by unskilled laborers. Um, there was one instance where in '93 a Canadian All Star team had come to Chicago to play like the 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 richer teams, um, and they were doing a two game series. And on their day off between games, the, they were like encouraged to go play these guys. So these guys worked all day in the mines. Came out and played the Canadian All Stars and beat them five to one. That's right. That's right. They did. You know <laughs> so. it. But also, it, when you think about it, you know, so often when we talk about games, um, so much commentary just drops to like a basic, like, well, they really have a desire 
they really have a drive. They have a passion for this game. And I think there's a different mentality versus I just got off my steam liner from Europe. I'm going to play an association football game from I've been in the mines all week. I get to go play this game. And guess what? I'm going to play some of those hoity assholes mm -hmm. that um, look down on me the rest of the week. Um, and so I imagine the intensity level was very different. And I imagine the physicality was very different, Probably. especially because they're playing on that rough prairie side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like sometimes they play in like shipyards, you know? Anyway, okay. Oh, who's this strapping so young man? This strapping young man. I have a couple here just um, shout outs to like a couple players, a couple player highlights. Yeah. This is uh, a portrait of soccer player Ben Govier. Govier. Govier, Govier. Um, Go Gover. This is actually from 1905, but he played for Pullman and the Thistles throughout the decade we were talking about. Oh, wow. And then um, he went to play in St. Louis for a little while and then came back and played in the Chicago scene for like 20 years. Oh, my gosh. For the rest of his playing career. And he was known as the greatest player in America wow. by people who said that he was the greatest player in America. I think locally. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst those who classified him as greatest player in America, he was the he greatest was the player greatest. in America. But is look this, at him! Look at this, him kicking that ball. What is the P in this? I assume it's Pullman. Yeah. Um, Very different from the AI generated mm -hmm. imagining imaginings. He looks like a proper footballer. And I look at that say. like proper pitch too. And an action shot from 1904. I know that that, that ball is still like nearly in focus. I do wish more. Um, Fields had uh, slat wooden fences along the outfield, though. That would be a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Maybe Just when saying. they redo the Sox field. <laughs> maybe, when they, when the, maybe when the fire finally build. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Who else do we have? Is there other players of interest from the time? Yes. So Ooh. this man, this is an interesting case because he didn't Look at play. Those calves. He is that allowed back then to show that much calf? <laughs> Was this like kind well, of an X-rated card? <laughs> he was kind of a character, from what I understand. Um, but this is. Tower of Strength, Harry Boyd. Oh, Harry Boyd. I've heard of the Tower of Strength. Yeah, and he played in Europe for Sunderland Albion. That's right. Before moving, Albion, which we know is just another word for Great Britain. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, before coming to the U.S., um, I think he was only here for like a little over a year, but he played with the Thistles um, slash Pullman and traveled to Fall River, Massachusetts for their traveling team. And played against Fall River and then like just jumped ship and played for Fall River. <laughs> and then eventually um, made his way back to England and played for Burnley and then what is now Arsenal. Oh my gosh. And so like this is a legitimate player with an international playing career. And he played in the US. Yeah. Yeah. And a hundred years ago. And in Chicago. Yeah. And in Chicago. And he was an illicit um, calf exposure. And he potentially died of um, an STD. <laughs> Well, you know, when you're showing that much calf yeah. traveling around. It's also reported that he was kind of a violent man oh. on and off the field. So that's why he was the tower so just However, He just sounds like your modern day footballer, yeah. top to bottom. <laughs> so I just, he also had a very contentious deal with Adidas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's just to illustrate that there was an exchange. There were communities and there wasn't like an international playing market to some degree. Well, yeah, and there yeah. was... Uh, with that in mind, there were, like you mentioned, there were already these organized games between cities and also between like Canadian and U.S. teams. Uh, but there would also be teams that would travel through the U.S., um, like the Pilgrims. Uh, but that kind of led up to the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893. 
So this is the same, like 10 years after the first association football game, the world's kind of turning its eyes on um, Chicago for this anniversary of uh, Columbus's <laughs> discovery of, of America. And if you live in Chicago, this is an event that still has a shadow over the city today. Mm -hmm. uh, you can still find elements of it. If you go to the Museum of Science and Industry, I mean, excuse me, yeah, Museum of Science and Industry, the only building left because the rest, or actually I think it was recreated because they were all made out of basically straw and um, It was just like spit. wheat paste, it right? Was, <laughs> it was just stucco basically and the, the whole thing burned down and was destroyed at the end. But like so many other things, um, this also was, was a host of what was potentially going to be the first international football competition. A.K.A. World Cup. The World Cup. It Chicago, would have been the home the of the World Cup. Cup. <laughs> um, so the way, that, the way this happened um, is that in an attempt to kind of lure uh, the Corinthians um, uh, football club, which is a, was a very famous football uh, British football club at the time that traveled the world and is kind of credited with popularizing the sport, Throughout the world. I like their little caps. Yeah. That, I mean, that is an organized team photo. And look at that crest. That is, yeah. that is a lot of overlapping. Um, so in an attempt, <laughs> uh, in an attempt to <laughs> lure them into to play in Chicago and also to attract teams from Canada and South America, there was an attempt to create this tournament. So basically it would be the Chicago Columbian Exposition World Football Tournament. Um, and the way it built is, is first... There was uh, already planned uh, to be a showcase with the conjunction of the Amateur Athletic Union Sport Fest in a period in September towards the end. Um, but there was also a period in July, like late July, beginning of August, um, that was set aside for a tournament. And then that aligned with the Caledonian and Scottish Assembly Sport Festival. So if you're thinking of the Scottish importance, the thistles... Mm -hmm. It kind of made sense that they would that they would have a lot of focus on the game at that time, and then finally it was listed early that the final day of the fair, which was Canadian Day, they're always last, um, <laughs> was to feature football. Um, so William Baird, uh, who was a Toronto resident and an enthusiast of Chicago soccer, uh, saw these fixtures and used them to make an announcement that the Corinthians would be coming to Chicago to participate. Um, so it sounds like maybe it was like kind of like hopefully pushing it, bringing together already planned um, events and trying to build that into an actual tournament um, and to bring in this team to draw attention to it. Uh, the Tribune added a lot. The Chicago Tribune added a lot to that excitement by hearing that news and then doing a full page feature on the Corinthians, the players, their kind of history, um, their record. Um, and then... I sure would like to see that full page. Oh, I would love to see. I bet there's a lot. It's the best, not just words. But there's like <laughs> designs and things. <laughs> After that, um, that lured kind of Ontario and Philadelphia. Philadelphia was also a major center mm -hmm. of the sport at the time to sign on to participate in the tournament. Um, and then two months later, uh, the World's Fair Athletic Committee extended invitations to other teams in Europe and South America. So you had, you had the potential for this, if not World Cup, Club World Cup. This is before FIFA, before mm -hmm. soccer was in the Olympics. It's before all the like Noche de Ors. You know, this was potentially out of Chicago just within 10 years of that first game, the first 
international uh, competition um, on par with Champions League, anything like that, uh, which is really phenomenal. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. I, so well. I think especially too, because of what I kept just thinking about with all these, even just like getting across town games, I'm yeah. thinking, ah, oh, it would take so long. <laughs> Yeah, to get true. from this well, suburb from, to this, from Braidwood to Pullman, like yeah. all these things. I'm like, I don't want to go to Pullman on just a weekday. It'd take too long. It's a 40 minute drive now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Although the train, there's probably a lot more trains back then. More Pullman trains. Yeah. Pullman trains <laughs> that you can what look at from behind What if stanchion? you could not take the train from Pullman? That would have been bad. <laughs> you get here and you never. So leave. traveling was difficult. And that's ultimately the problem. So um, in early July, so this is just before that, that longer part of the tournament, the late July to August, when it was actually going to take place, uh, Corinthians pulled out because of high travel fares mm. and rates. Um, they were the main draw and kind of the reason a lot of these other teams had agreed. So a lot of uh, other teams also withdrew. And then so the they settled for a two-game visit from a Canadian soccer team, which I think was this oh, game yeah, that's what I was when they went about. against Braidwood. So they played their two-game tournament. That's also the period in which they went and played Braidwood. And then that was followed by a six-team tournament uh, that was hosted by the Scottish Athletic Club because, remember, it was during that period honoring um, the Scottish Assembly Sport Festival. They had this tournament, so that would have probably really focused on the Thistles. Um, yeah. And although that tournament um, did have some... Uh, outside of Chicago players, uh, it was not what they imagined, and they were playing for the Bain Cup. Bain! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, although it didn't like really come together, it was so close, and I also it, it shows how pivotal Chicago was in this early yeah. period, and how fascinating. And I'll go back to the point of that it was not behind the rest of the world; it was in line with the rest of the world. It- this the development of the sport. Yeah. 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 The the and the development of soccer in Great Britain with the two classes playing in different ways mm-hmm. is very much also in line with the way it was here. After the fair, uh, because this was a time when uh things were put up and then destroyed <coughs> and just like which was really the ethos from the beginning in America, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason we have to share this history now is because it, it, yeah. it, it gets lost. Much of the World's Fair grounds were destroyed by fire or purposely destroyed after the World's Fair. And that oddly kind of foretold the coming years for the CFA. So as you mentioned, between 1896 and or 1899, the membership fluctuated between six and eight teams in the CFA. CFA. Um, in 1899, the league dropped to its lowest ever of five teams and only competed one of their two seasons yeah. in the spring season. Um, and it's unclear why there was such a steep kind of drop off and it lost its popularity. There's one uh, theory that it was the Spanish-American War because of people being called, I imagine, to, to go fight. Um, and also maybe some of the politics surrounding that war. There was also labor unrest um, in in different parts of the country that affected some of these um, players and teams and industries. Um, but a big part of it was in Chicago is again, back to the, 
The Thistles decided to leave the league because they were not equipped to compete properly. And rather than not compete at, at the top level, they just decided to pull out yeah. of the league. 99, the Tribune did post a schedule for a season of five teams, but it's not clear that any of those games were ever played. Um, so that kind of destruction of the World's Fair... You know, it, it showed kind of the peak of a period, but also the end that was very much mirrored by this first chapter in Chicago soccer history. Uh, but it was only the first chapter. Yeah. And the next chapter, as Maria promises, has more pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to pick up from that point, from basically the turn of the century going forward. And, and see how it continued to grow and flourish both in Chicago and in the U.S. And I'm looking forward to that. Any other thoughts before we end this? I love it. I'm just yeah. so into it. It's it's great. I'm envious of, I'm often envious of architecture in Europe. Yeah. But like you were saying, I mean, like architecture is how we see history around us. Yeah. And thinking specifically about like the White Sox Stadium. That was, yeah. the Wanderers go on to like in a different iteration still be a club and a yeah. powerhouse for like the next however many years and there's no like where their home was there is nothing to do with soccer yeah it is still a huge like huge architectural thing a huge monument to the city but for baseball yeah right it's the, a replacement yeah i think that's a really strong point and i think that Having a, a, a physical space that retains history makes your awareness of it, but also highlights your involvement in it. Mm -hmm. And when you feel connected to a place as part of its history, you have a, um, a, a more of a passion and a commitment to that place and a stewardship of that place. Yeah. And I think not just in Chicago where you definitely see that, but nationally in this country, and I think this, we're, what we're finding out is part of the, the story of why uh, football, soccer kind of faded is because so much of it is tied into history, identity, and tradition. And so much of the story of the United States is um, starting fresh, tearing down, mm. and ignoring the past. Yeah. But the amazing thing about History is that it's easily resurrected. Not easily. It can be resurrected. The stories don't go away. And when we do find them and you do share them, it starts to make people realize the connections to their surroundings and rebuild that, that connection. And I think that's what's behind a lot of what we, we do with this project. You know, we want to make those connections and, again, use this sport as a lens to just talk about living and existing and what does that mean? Um, and so, and that's why you're wearing your striped football jersey today. Cause yeah. You, Cause I you was, just want to bring back the style of the I was of like, the what should I wear? I'm going to go back in time. I'm going to wear like a Jersey sweater. Oh. I know it's not the two inch stripe <laughs> as they require, but it does have stripes. At the same time, you know, knowing now where these places are, we, I think we should start to, to try to find them and mark them so other people can hmm. have that connection as well. Um, so that's it. 
I think that's it for this week. It was a lot. It was a lot, but it was very fun. It was fun. Should we should we give a shout out to like some of the source material? Well, we should absolutely. Yeah, um, I well, we relied heavily on one book. One for this research. particular yeah. book by Gabe Logan, um, who did a full history of the early years of Chicago soccer. What's it called? Chicago soccer history, eighteen seventy seven to nineteen something something. Um, it, is, <laughs> it is a. Uh, it is a treasure trove. It is of a treasure trove. It is a academic. Like textbook that mm-hmm. focuses on the economics and sociology of the sport in the city. There's also the U.S. Society for Soccer History. Is yeah, it? U.S. Society for Soccer History, um, U.S. Soccer, US and soccer. specifically the history of the U.S. Open Cup, mm-hmm. the Illinois um, uh, Illinois Soccer Association, I believe it's called, uh, their website mm-hmm. as well. Um, Chicago House publishes a lot of things online. Chicago House has a lot of history as well. So there are some good online resources. Um, but what's interesting in that is in the research, we found like um, common, like most commonly there are some things that contradict each other. Like the, what's the Wanderers actual team name? Mm-hmm. Um, what year what did were this the happen? dates? There was a common misconception on a lot of sites that cited that first game in 1893. Which is not true. Which when we looked at kind of the, the timeline, it was impossible and I think that just goes back to there's just not a lot of documented history out there. The fact that it's so hard to find any images related to the early Pullman or Thistle teams yeah. that were so dominant um, just shows how much of it has been lost. So if you do happen to listen and you know, because I know there's people out there who know about this and have resources and say, hey, you're not thinking of this resource, please let us know. And that truly is the story of football. That That actually was the story of football. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week.